Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, welcome again. I'm Pastor Ken, one of the pastors at Faith Dialogue. Uh, Welcome to our broadcast today. We are in week number three of our teaching series called Heaven's Best. Now, to give you a little recap, uh, week number one was we talked about our heavenly home. Um, And we said that we have a heavenly escort uh, that will live in a, a big house, a dwelling place. We'll have work to do and that Jesus would be there. And then last week, week two, we talked about our heavenly bodies. These are our resurrected bodies. And we said a couple things. We said they would be similar, yet different. They would be eternal. Uh, they would be spiritual bodies, not carnal bodies. And they would, we would still look like us, but even better. So today we're going to be talking about week number three. And week number three is the return of Jesus. And you can just frame it in one word, when. <laughs> when with a big question mark after it. When is this all going to happen? Well, we know very clearly that the timing of the resurrection, everything that we talked about in the last two weeks, is tied to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we rise from the dead and get our heavenly bodies. However, figuring out, trying to figure out when uh, can be difficult. Jesus made the statement that no one knows the day or the hour. Paul also said that the day of the Lord would return like a thief in the night. So because of these statements, as well as a lot of other reasons, there are many that don't even study what we're doing today. They don't study end-time prophecy. They object to studying end-time prophecy for three primary reasons, and there's probably more. But number one, they object to it because it requires too much work. Number two, too many people have made predictions that really don't come true. And number three, it scares the daylights out of many people, this whole idea of an apocalypse. So let me address each of these objections in turn. Objection number one, it takes a little bit of work. Yes, I can tell you that there's a lot of prophecy out there. Uh, One out of every four verses in the Bible is related to prophecy. But at the same time, think about it, if, if one out of every four verses is prophetic, that's even more reason for us to be studying these these verses. Um, Case in point, the the book of Revelation, the crown jewel of all the books of the Bible regarding prophecy, uh, says this, it says, the the book of Revelation says, read me, I'm special. Now that's a Pastor Ken translation, but this is what it literally says in Revelation 1 uh, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take to heart what is written because the time is near. Objection number two, people make many predictions. And yes, that's, that's unfortunately true. Back in the 19th century, for example, a Baptist preacher named William Miller predicted that Jesus would return October 22nd, 1844. And his followers were called the Millerites. Uh, that prediction, by the way, didn't come true. But it did lead to the birth of an organization we know today as the Seventh-day Adventist. So something good came out of it. 
Also, there was a book that came out by Edgar Wisnett, a retired NASA engineer, a rocket scientist, and part-time Bible teacher, uh, who predicted that the Lord would return in 1988, sometime between September 11th and September 13th. I remember the book very well. The book sold millions and millions of copies, and of course, it was way too premature. But here's the point. Just because others misuse what I would consider a prophetic gift doesn't mean that what we just read in Revelation 1-3 still isn't relevant. Blessed is he who reads and takes to heart because the time is near. Objection number three. Some people get scared when they think of the end of days. And did you know that the Apostle Paul, who was one of the authors of many, many scriptures talking about this very time, says this. He says that the day of the Lord is our blessed hope, and it's something that we should anticipate, look forward to coming. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, that this day should surprise you like a thief. Uh, Paul then went on to say, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the context of Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that we would not be surprised, that we would be able to tell through the signs of the time. We would be able to anticipate, and in anticipating, we would be encouraged. Notice that Paul says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. So we don't need to be frightened by the prospect of the Lord's returning. The Bible says clearly that there will be a time when God brings his judgment, his wrath, upon the earth, but we will be spared. And another part of the scriptures that says that we will be hidden, we will be protected, we will be taken away. So keeping in mind these verses of encouragement, there are three keys to prophecy. Three keys that when we finish this lesson today, I believe that we'll have the best indication of when. When will this all happen? When will Jesus return? Uh, the time frame that we're talking about is known as, by a number of different names. It's known as the second coming, the second advent, the return of Christ, the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, and the day of God's wrath. Uh, we won't have time today to discuss all these names because while they refer basically to the same period of time, they actually sometimes refer to specific events, things that are a little bit different, and we won't go through the, the variations today. But I do want to get into these three keys to Bible prophecy. Are you ready? Okay, here's key number one. The Bible is a Jewish book, and the geographic center of prophecy is Israel. You know, unfortunately, there is a large group of Christians, um, a large group of Christian communities that believe that God is actually finished with Israel, uh, that the Jewish people rejected Jesus. They were complicit in his crucifixion, and as a result, God has moved on. However, God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God's covenant with his people will not be broken. More than 2,600 years ago, God told the prophet Ezekiel, of his plan to regather the Jews from the four corners of the earth where they had been scattered and bring them back into Israel. This is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 37. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Now give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. O oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again 
then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh my people, you will know that I am the Lord. Some of the prophecies regarding Israel in the end times include that the nation of Israel would be born in a day. Not someday, but a day. 2,700 years before it happened, the prophet Isaiah wrote, Who has ever seen or heard anything as strange as this? That the nation has been born in a single day. Now, of course, for us, we understand that actually happened with the Israeli Declaration of Independence. It was proclaimed on May 14, 1948, announcing the birth of the State of Israel, nearly 2,000 years after its demise. Eleven minutes after Israel declared independence, President Truman issued a memo that recognized the provisional government of Israel as the de facto head of state in Israel. Jesus was asked about the signs of the end times and replied that Jerusalem would be surrounded, it would be defeated, it would be led captive, scattered into all the nations, and Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles until the Gentile, time of Gentiles would be fulfilled. Notice that happened in 70 AD when Titus, a Roman general and future Caesar, attacked and completely destroyed Jerusalem. As Jesus had foretold, at the Temple Mount, not one stone was left on top of another. This event scattered the Jews, an event called the Great Diaspora. Note Jesus, however, ended this prophecy by saying that Jerusalem will be trampled or occupied by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Indicating again a regathering, a return to Jerusalem. Uh, the Apostle Paul, using the same wording, wrote of the ultimate salvation of Israel in Romans 11. Paul says, A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all of Israel will be saved. Jesus gave us a clue to when the end would happen, and he told us to keep our eyes on Israel. In Matthew 24, one of the most quoted verses about the end times, Jesus replies and says this, Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. You, so you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the doors. The fig tree was said to be one of the last trees for to bud, the very last tree of the late spring that would begin to blood, indicating that summer was coming. The fig tree is used in reference to Israel and the people of Israel over 44 times in the Bible. And the Bible says, when you see the fig tree begin to bud, know that the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the body, is near. Key number two. The scripture is very clear that the return of Jesus in the last days is actually two separate events. You know, many people, uh, many uh, Bible scholars and entire denominations of the Christian church fail to take Bible prophecy literally. Uh, this is quite detrimental actually to our faith because when you don't take part of the Bible literally, you can easily fall into the trap of doubting whether other important messages, uh, passages of the Bible can be believed literally or even seriously. Perhaps Adam and Eve were just symbolic. Maybe the devil is just another name for evil. Perhaps Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin. All kinds of unbelief can result. The Bible, however, has been 100% accurate in Bible prophecy. For example, the Bible said that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, that the Messiah would be declared 
the Son of God. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be called a Nazarene. That he would be betrayed by a friend. That he would die with the wicked, but be buried with the wealthy. That his side would be pierced. These are just a few of 314 prophecies specifically related to Jesus, all that were specifically and literally fulfilled. Here's my advice, my instruction. When we read something in the Bible, we should take it literally, unless it is very clear that it's to be taken metaphorically or symbolically. For example, in the book of Revelation, John says that he sees a beast coming out of the sea. But if we keep reading and compare it to the verses that are very clear in the book of Daniel, for example, we find that this beast is none other than an individual described as the Antichrist that leads a confederation of ten nations at the end times. So the reason I'm taking my time in illustrating what I mean by taking prophecy literally is directly related to this second key. For the return of Christ is staged in two events. The first is coming for the church and the second is coming with the church. Two events. Allow me to illustrate. The teaching on 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians and the Gospel of John, Titus, etc. clearly indicate that Jesus returns suddenly and his return is imminent. Nothing is required to happen before this event. When he comes, all of those that are in Christ, whether dead or alive, will be suddenly changed be resurrected and will meet Jesus in the air and be with Jesus forever. These scriptures all refer to Jesus coming for the church. In fact, the reason that the church is taken up with Jesus is because after this event, an event called the tribulation begins, a time of horrible trouble, a time when the nations will be led by a deceptive but very charismatic individual called the Antichrist. It is a time of Jacob's trouble and the focus of God's attention will again be on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Then by illustration we have many other scriptures in Matthew, Acts, 1st, 2nd Peter, Revelation that speak of Jesus coming down in the clouds and every eye seeing him. He'll appear like lightning it says going from the east to the west and the people of the earth will all wail as Jesus comes with the church with the armies of heaven. This is after the Antichrist has already mobilized armies that are causing havoc on the earth and for Israel. Jesus returns, conquers the Antichrist, and throws him into the lake of fire. So in these scriptures we saw that Jesus comes with the church. So these are two completely different scenarios. People could assume they refer to the same event only if you take all of this allegorically, not literally. Unfortunately, People that don't take prophecy literally can't give you any real answers on when this will transpire, when Jesus will return, or what events trigger some of the following events that are in the Bible. They're, they're really not sure of what happens in the future. It's really just a, a mystery to them. Key number three, Jesus will turn his attention back to Israel and all of the prophecies regarding Israel and the promised land will be literally fulfilled. If you recall, Israel was mentioned in key number one, that Israel is a central stage in prophecy. After nearly 2,000 years, we see that Israel is now back in the land. The dry bones of Ezekiel actually did come back to life. And the Jews that had been dispersed all over the world are starting to resettle and be regathered 
in a land now known as Israel. And guess what? They're speaking Hebrew. <laughs> That's right. Hebrew, a language that was dead after 70 AD and only known through the Hebrew scriptures, is now alive. If you go back and read the writings of the church theologians back in the Middle Ages or even just a 150 years ago, very few theologians were willing to read these last day prophecies, what we call eschatology, a study of the last things, and stake their reputation that the Bible was calling for a future rebirth of Israel, that a future temple would be built in Jerusalem, and that Jesus would literally be returning to the Mount of Olives. You see, for most of the last 2,000 years, Christians persecuted the Jews, often with the approval of the leadership of the church. It would have been very difficult for some of the popes that called for inquisitions and horrible persecution against the Jews to then read prophecy and believe that it said that God would ultimately restore the Jewish people. That there would be a time when there would actually be 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes mentioned that would be sealed by God to proclaim the gospel and would be protected, kept safe from both the Antichrist as well as the wrath of God during a literal seven-year period of great tribulation. However, when the fig tree began to bud, when the nation of Israel was established in 1948, when the people of Israel took Jerusalem in 1967, or even when Donald Trump acknowledges that Jerusalem is indeed the capital of Israel, we can no longer ignore the literal approach to the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is indeed coming soon. Today we are closer than ever to meeting Jesus in the air in our resurrected bodies. Our topic today is focused on the when. When will these events unfold? When will Jesus return? It's actually the same question that the apostles asked Jesus. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So let's review. I've related there are three keys to prophecy. Key number one, uh, the Bible is a Jewish book and the center of prophecy is Israel. If you understand Israel's role in prophecy, you'll understand prophecy. If you don't understand Israel, you won't understand prophecy. Key number two, scripture is very clear that the return of Jesus in the last days is actually two separate events. We review that the descriptions of the second coming in Jesus were different. One involved a resurrection of the believers being caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the clouds, and the second was Jesus returning with the armies of, the, of, of heaven, including the saints, to come down and put down the armies of the Antichrist. Key number three, Jesus will turn his attention back to Israel, and all of the prophecies regarding Israel and the Promised Land will be literally fulfilled. Uh, we've already talked a lot about Israel. And I hinted at a dozen or so prophecies that Israel being regathered. There are over 3,100 verses, 3,100 verses in the Bible that speak of the second coming. And in closing, I want to share just one, one special verse in the book of Hosea that gives us, quite frankly, the very best indication of the timing. When will this actually happen? Now, Hosea was a prophet that lived in the northern kingdom of Israel going back to the 8th century B.C., 2,800 years ago. Uh, God called Hosea to marry a harlot named Gomer and even have children with this harlot. Hosea was called to love and pursue his unfaithful spouse in order to illustrate the kind of love that God has for the people of Israel. 
The people of Israel had been unfaithful to the one true God and they had been worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Hosea was to illustrate that God still loved Israel and always would. Uh, the book goes back and forth between judgment on the people of Israel, including sending them into captivity, and then back to the heart of God, who only wants to restore the people of Israel. Then in chapter 6 of Hosea, there's an amazing prophecy. This is the verse I'm talking about that speaks of the restoration of the people of Israel, and it actually gives a timeline. Now, this is a most unusual prophecy. Uh, there were other times um, in the Bible that God gave a timeline, but typically in code, and the code has to be deciphered. Uh, but when it was deciphered accurately, it would be shown to be fulfilled literally. For example, uh, the prophet Daniel, like the, the granddaddy of all prophets of the Bible, um, God gave uh, Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. And in the book of Daniel, we see the prophecy hundreds of years before it happened. Um, for example, in the second chapter of Daniel, Daniel interprets a dream by King Nebuchadnezzar, who sees a statue with a head of pure gold, chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, um, and then legs of iron, its feet partially iron and partially of baked clay. So that sounds confusing, but Daniel interprets the dream following a code that ultimately tells that the Medes and the Persians will conquer the Babylonians, followed by Alexander the Great, who conquers most of the known world, followed by the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, strong as iron. This prophecy was fulfilled so literally that the skeptics are literally speechless. Another illustration, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is given a prophecy by the angel Gabriel regarding a total of, regarding a total of 77s. Have you heard that before? 77s or 70 weeks. The prophecy spoke specifically to a time when Messiah the Prince would come into the scene and then be cut off, be crucified. This prophecy made no sense if the 77s were weeks of seven days, but to everyone's amazement, in the 77s, if they were weeks of years, or a total of 490 years, then that prophecy was literally fulfilled. As Jesus would come into Jerusalem in 32 AD and be cut off, crucified, exactly when the angel Gabriel had said, after exactly 69 weeks were fulfilled. So we see that there's often a code, what I call a, a Bible code, that helps us understand the timing of prophecy given to us. Now back to this verse in Hosea, back to this, uh, this prophecy by Hosea that says something of great importance in the sixth chapter beginning in verse one. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. You know, it's not unusual that the prophet Hosea would say, let us return to the Lord. Hosea calls for the people of Israel to repent and to return to the Lord many times in the first five chapters. But verse 1 of chapter 6 is followed by verse 2. Yes. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. You know, for centuries, Bible scholars looked at these verses and knew that there was prophetic significance. After two days he'll revive us and on the third day he'll restore us. But they were unable to agree on its probable meaning. However, we can use a Bible code. For example, in 2 Peter 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. 
So perhaps in Hosea chapter 6, the day refers to a thousand years. Considering that the book of Revelation very clearly states that the Lord will restore Israel and reign on the throne of David for 1,000 years, a millennia, we may be justified in saying that the code in this verse is actually a thousand years. This thousand years, this millennial reign of Jesus is referenced six times in the 20th chapter of Revelation. Now, if the Bible speaks of something once, it's important. If it says it six times, you better pay attention. So we see that one of the primary events in end-time prophecy is a thousand-year reign where Jesus will restore Israel and reign on the throne of David. So let's reread this prophecy of Hosea using the Bible code of a thousand years as equal to a day. After two thousand years, he will revive us. On the third thousand, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Now, this begins to make some sense as we have the record of history that clearly shows that after about 2,000 years, the nation of Israel is revived. Then the prophecy of Hosea says that on the third day, or beginning in the third 1,000, beginning in the third millennium, God will restore Israel and Israel will live in his presence. You know, I find it interesting that it doesn't say after two days and then after the third day, but says on the third day, the beginning of the third millennium. You know, considering that Jesus was cut off somewhere around 32 or 33 AD, he was crucified, and then that Jerusalem was completely destroyed in AD 70, that third day is likely approaching. Remember, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles were told that he would return. There is not any sign, any prophecy, anything that needs to happen before Jesus returns. That is why the Apostle Paul told the church to be ready. It can occur at any time and will be over, we're told, in a twinkling of an eye, an event that is said to be faster than fast. This event will happen before, before the tribulation, the time of trouble, where the thousand, before the thousand years, because we are the church come back at the end of the tribulation with Jesus. Jesus is coming for all those that have put their trust in him. They are called the body of Christ, his church and his bride. These are the true believers, not those that have, may have attended church or call themselves Christians, but those who have actually put their trust in Jesus Christ. They have been saved by his grace. So let's live every day as if it was that Jesus would be returning that day. My friends, there will be a generation that ultimately sees the return of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.com faithdialogue.org.